Welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. I'm Alan Walsh with Adam Wild. Uh, Adam, you want to pick it up and I, let's get rock and rolling. Let's do it, Alan. I I got to know. I mean, this is the end. This is a Friday night of a long week for you, a long couple of weeks, trade deadline week. Um, again, I, I like I asked you and Frank last episode, how are you? Are you alive? Are you are you sleeping? What's what's going on? Uh, I survived. Okay. And I'm actually getting on a plane uh, tomorrow morning to go to Minnesota to see Mark Andre Fleury play his first game as a member of the Minnesota Wild. Wow. Okay. And and uh, are you first off? You must be excited. But as an agent, are there are there nerves when a when a client plays for a new team for the first time? I wouldn't say there's nerves, but it's it's a momentous moment. It's it's one of the milestones in in his career, and I've been there for almost all of them uh, since junior hockey, playing for uh, Team Canada in the World Juniors, and you know I sat next to him at the Quebec Junior Draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we're going back to how many years? Uh, Twenty years. Wow. So seeing him play his first game in, in Minnesota and and having a belief that Minnesota can go on a great playoff run, I just feel like I'd like to be there for his first game. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and for him, I mean, he seems like a pretty calm, cool, collected guy, at least based on, you know, our interview with him, my one conversation with him. Um, do you get the sense that he feels any sort of nerves or is he just kind of a guy that's very relaxed all the time? I think anytime you you change teams and things are new mm-hmm. and he's never been traded uh, in his career in season. Right. And uh, so it's, it's definitely, there's going to be an adjustment period. Uh, he's never uh, lived in a hotel uh, in, in his home city during a season. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be doing that probably until the end of the, the year and the end of the playoffs. So, um, there's a lot of new things to get used to. Uh, you've got to make that adjustment very fast from interacting with the training staff to getting what you need mm-hmm. uh, to be ready for games, managing um, your own body from, from physio work to off-ice training. Um, you know, you think about things like, when am I going to see my family looking at the schedule? How am I going to about... Uh, uh, seeing my my wife and kids and those are all considerations um getting getting set up on payroll is uh on a new team you know there's a ton of uh paperwork to to fill out um so i mean you you go through all of that with anybody who's been traded and you know it takes about a week to just sort of start settling into a new routine um uh how's the reaction to him going to minnesota been It's been fantastic from uh, Minnesota. And, and, you know, there's been a a lot of um, people in Chicago that in a very short period of time that um, he became uh, acquainted with, who got to know a little of his personality, who've reached out to him. Some people in in management and coaching staff have reached out to me uh, just to say what a pleasure it was to play with him or coach him or manage him and work with him. Um, over what was relative, you know, relatively short period of time, but he really made an impact in Chicago in only uh, sixty some odd games 
which is typical flower. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, when he gets to Minnesota and starts practicing with the boys and, uh, and, and hooting and hollering during practice and chirping guys when they, when they don't score. And, uh, you know, I think they'll all get to get to see what it's like to, with, with flowers, one of your goalies. It's one heck of a guy to have uh, on a playoff run. So, you know, he knows uh, he, he knows what it's like. He's done it over and over and over again, three Stanley cups. So I, you know, one of the things though, you, you shared a text with me, I checked in uh, with Alan on, I think it was the night of the trade deadline, like after it was all over. And Alan, you kind of shared at the time that that um, there are a few of your clients got traded, yeah. and there is so much that happens after the trade. You just mentioned a couple of things. They're getting adjusted to the new city, living out of a hotel in some cases. Um, when are you going to see your family? Uh, you know, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I do know that one of the players that was moved uh, had his parents coming to town. Um, and that had to change. What, what do you do? And what do you, what's the first order of business when a client of yours gets traded at the trade deadline in season? And I mean, God, sometimes they're playing the next night. Sure. And, you know, one player who was who traded, um, the coach, uh, uh, skated up to him in practice and said, uh, you got to get off the ice. You've been moved, uh, go into the dressing room and, and wait for the GM He's either going to call you on your cell or come down and talk to you in person. So I got a text from the player saying, I know I've been traded. You know where I'm going because he, he didn't know. And, and I had a, I had a good idea, but I called the acquiring team and asked, and they said, well, the trade call isn't done yet, but uh, yeah, he's in the deal coming over here. Wow. so like first it's just making sure the player is notified in a timely manner mm-hmm. and and then it's about okay the checklist in your head starts going off you know um where's my stuff how quickly can the player pack uh getting a flight um you know where is you know sometimes the player is traded when the team is on the road right and 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 doesn't have a lot of clothes with him. So can he go back to his his home city and pack everything up at least enough to move over to his new city? Does he have to go to the new city? Is is the new team are they at home or are they on the road? Oh, yeah. So like you've got to figure out all those logistics and you know then the the other stuff like um, getting getting players set up on new payroll. You know sometimes. It's it's you're traded across borders, so um, you need to update a work visa, and the work visa until that's done expedited. It takes a couple of days. A player can't play. Wow! Right. So I mean, you have to figure all that out, and you have to figure it all out really fast. And if you have three, four, five guys traded, you're you've got a lot of balls in the air just to you know, get the player moved to the new city and get him ready to play. And that's, you know, without the disruptions personally that happen in their lives, right? Forget, you know, changing a job. And I think moving are two of the most stressful things that people will ever do in their lifetime. And right. they're doing both essentially, right? And sometimes 
uh, it's completely a surprise or it's completely against their will. They don't have a no trade clause. Or they don't have a no move clause. It's a shock and a surprise. Let me ask you something. If uh, Is it normal for a player on game day uh, to find out from a member of the coaching staff before a member of the management staff? Is there like a set way that these things are supposed to happen professionally or is it sort of whatever's happening at that time, that's kind of how you have to play it? Yeah, I, I mean, there's no other way when when a player's on the ice in practice on trade deadline day and he's been traded, you know, usually they have in Canada, at least the cameras set up watching practice. And if a player, you know, has a tight groin and leaves the ice early, the uh, the tweets start flying and the speculation <laughs> starts flying. So and so left the ice early. Right. Well, if you get word down to the coach and I'm sure it's been talked about before practice between management and the coach. If someone gets traded, so-and-so is going to you know, flag you over to the bench and let you know to get this player off the ice. Mm-hmm. You can't keep the player on the ice once you know he's in a deal uh, for fear that he might get hurt. And fr- freak injuries happen all the time. So, you know, there's really no other way to do it other than the coach uh, going over to the player on the ice and saying, Hey, you've been moved. You know, you got to get off the ice right now. And, you know, uh, when it, when it comes to the acquiring team, like the player, I, I'm sure that, you know, you talk to the acquiring team in this particular instance, um, do they normally reach out to you first? Do they reach out to the player directly first to let them know who finds out first? And and what are those types of conversations? Like, do they, do they just say, Hey, uh, report here, that's it? Or is it sort of like, hey, welcome to the team. We'd love to get to know you. Like, how did, how does that conversation go normally? Even, even on trade deadline day, uh, most of the GMs in the NHL will make it a top, top priority. Whether the trade call is done or not is totally irrelevant mm-hmm. to reach out to their player to let him know he's been traded. Okay. Even on trade deadline day. So the way the player finds out before he hears about it from anybody else is most of the time by his GM who'll say, listen, there was a deal done. You've been traded to this team. Um, I'm sure your agent is going to call you soon. We're letting him know as well. And uh, we're passing your information, your cell phone number, to the GM of the team that's acquired you. And I'm sure, you know, they will reach out to you soon to welcome you to the team and start discussing logistics of getting you to meet them. Right. Wow. That's crazy day. And uh, um, I think, you know, one of the things that has become top of mind, Alan, since the trade deadline, obviously when we speak specifically about the, you know, the, the trade that wasn't between Anaheim and, and Vegas. And I know you can't speak specifically to that. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of questions have arisen around how no trade clauses work because you know, general public fans of the game, you're like, well, I can check cap friendly and they have a no move clause or they have a no tr- 10 team, no trade. That's what, at least what's been reported. But how does, if a client earns that in a negotiation, how do no trade clauses and no move clauses actually work from the time of filing uh, to, you know, a, a general manager calling and saying, hey, we'd like to trade you, but it might be somebody on your no trade list. How does that all work together? 
Okay, first, it's important to talk about the distinction between a no move clause and a no trade clause. Okay. Okay. And then there's a further distinction in no trade clauses of a full no trade, Mm -hmm. which would cover every team in the league and a limited no trade. And, and you can negotiate the number of teams assigned to that no trade or um, in reverse, you can write the contract in such a way that the trade list is actually a list of teams that the player can be traded to okay. as opposed to not traded to, right? So to begin no tr- no move clause uh a full no move means the player cannot be traded anywhere without his consent and he cannot be put on waivers okay wow if yeah. a player has a full no trade clause he can't be traded anywhere without his waiver but he can be put on waivers okay, okay. so there is a situation that happened um, sometime in the past mm-hmm. where a player had a full no trade, but he did not have a no move. And the GM called the player in and said, you know, you have a, you have a full no trade. You, you can't be traded anywhere without a waiver. We are, are uh, have completed a deal and you're in the deal going to this team will you waive your no trade to that team? And the player said, that's probably one of the only teams I would never want to play for. And I do not want to go there and I will not waive. And the GM said, okay, I understand. Um, And then the next day, the GM called the player in and said, listen, I really hate to do this, but if you don't, agree to waive the no trade to this team. I'm just going to put you on waivers and they're going to claim you. So you're going there one way or the other. I'll just complete a trade with that team, leaving you out, which is the other part of the deal that I have done. And then I'm going to just put you on waivers. They claim you, you're there and we're getting exactly what we've negotiated on the trade. Um, and you have no, no ability to stop it. Wow. So that's why as an agent negotiating deals, it's very important. The agent appreciates the difference between a no move and a no trade because nothing stops a GM at some point in time when the player only has a no trade to say, listen, if the player won't waive his no trade to X team, I'll just put him on waivers and we'll complete another deal between us for the other pieces. And I'll put him on waivers. You claim them and you get, you get the player, whether, whether he'll waive or not. (laughs) Yeah. That's a tough call, tough decision. Um, So it puts you in a position where, Really, the team still has some leverage, even with a full no trade clause, right? You know, they could still they could still make moves. Now, uh, when it comes to the actual granular granular part of of filing these types of things, Alan, as an agent with a player with a no trade or a no move clause, 
when do you file and how do you file? So the most popular limited no trade language that seems to exist in standard player contracts, it goes something like this. On or before June 30th, the player must file his 7-team, 10-team, 12-team, 15-team, no trade list with the club mm-hmm. for to apply to the next season. Okay. There is a wide open space to negotiate the limited no trade um, and the language to the limited no trade. Um, some of the clauses are written to say um, there's there's no date to submit a list, but it says the the club um, upon wanting a list will send in writing a demand for your no trade list. And then the player has 48 hours to respond with his list by sending it to the team. And, and usually the way the, the, the notices are given now, it's just by email. As, as we've come to see, there is no central um, repository for um, no trade lists. There's no formula to file them with the Players Association or with the NHL. I mean, I would send what, what I do is I send the no trade list before the due date. Mm-hmm. I email it to the general manager and the assistant general managers. And I ask to please confirm receipt in a timely manner. And I make sure to get a reply before um, the, the due date saying, you know, thanks for the list received and, and on file. And I have some written confirmation. I then print my email sending the list to the team. And I print the reply from the team acknowledging receipt. And I put it in the player's file. And I also maintain an electronic file of all no trade lists of, of copies of when they were sent and when they were received mm-hmm. and the confirmation so I sort of have a little bit of a backup as well, because as an agent, if there, if you have any degree of paranoia, and trust me, I have plenty, <laughs> uh, it's, it's making sure every single one of your no trade lists are filed by the dates due. And I have contracts that are worded, you know, due by June 30th. I have other contracts worded upon demand of the team to produce a list, and I keep it all calendared. Uh, every year, you've you basically every year you're sending in a new list. Wow! And uh, a lot of people, I think, were surprised to hear that the NHL central registry doesn't exist for something like this. Why isn't there a centralized group keeping track of this so that you know what happened with Vegas and Anaheim doesn't happen? Because I, the understanding that we have at this point, obviously, is that Vegas did not know or was not aware or was told something was expired. It's a lot of rumor right now. We can't confirm a lot of it. Wouldn't it make it a lot easier if the NHL just had a copy of everything? The reason why it hasn't been done like that up to now is a concern that the teams 
on a player's list would leak out. Okay. If we sent it to the NHL or if we sent it to the NHLPA, would people in the media or would other teams, other teams find out um, which teams are on a player's list or not? Hmm. And for a lot of different reasons, uh, players and teams don't want those lists making its way into the domain of other teams mm-hmm. and into the domain of the media. Okay. Well, that and that's understandable. It can and hurt players' profile or hurt a team's negotiation chances. Is there a better way to do it, do you think? Well, I think we're going to have to, uh, I, I mean, this is the first time something like this has happened, but there have been snafus before uh, with no trade lists. Um, in one situation, a GM was fired and a new GM um, had no record of of the no trade list. It only existed in the old GM's email that had been deactivated. Mm-hmm. And and. There's lots of different things that uh, weird things that have happened that have uh, caused um, uh, or, or put scrutiny on no trade lists um, that it, that whether they were filed on time or not, whether um, the the uh, the list is valid into the next year, because many of the contracts are worded to say if the player uh, by his agent does not file a timely list by the date specified in the contract, the entire no trade clause for the next year is deem waived. Like it doesn't exist. So you could really, if, if, if someone blows the date to file the no trade list, you could really put a player at a disadvantage. You know, you have a 15, no trade, 15 team, no trade list, 10 team, no trade list. And and that list somehow didn't get filed on time, and now the player can be traded anywhere. Um, that's serious. That's a serious disadvantage, um, and 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 probably serious repercussions. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why, uh, at least myself, why I'm so paranoid. Um, you know, no one would ever want that to happen. But I think we are moving in the direction now. Um, after the last week where there needs to be some measure of a third-party verification that the list was timely filed and that at least the parties involved are aware of the existence of the list and the teams that are on the list. Right, right. And, and you know, on a personal level, and again, this is not your client, this is not your situation, so I'm not asking you to comment directly on it, but Evgeny Dodonov scored last night as of this recording. Um, he is playing for Vegas. He knows he was basically traded and now that's been voided. He knows he could still be traded and we'll get to that in a minute. Yep. What do you tell a player who finds out that they were almost traded or traded and then the trade was voided? Are they hurt often? Is it just part of the business and they kind of shake it off? How? What do, you, what do you talk to them about and what do you say to kind of reassure them? You know, I don't think uh, a situation like that um, in in recent memory, I can think of a situation where a player was uh, traded. It was released to the public that he's been traded 
And then uh, that trade has been voided for some reason. Um, But there are conversations that exist between general managers and players and general managers and agents that get shared with players where players are certainly um, offended, Mm -hmm. uh, take it personally. Uh, General manager critiques a player's attitude or critiques his game or critiques his character where when a player does find out um, he takes it personally Mm -hmm. and there's probably general managers who um, hear players not happy with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, and many times there's, there's, there's hurt feelings on, on both sides that need to be massaged a little bit. Um, at, At the end of the day, Players want to win, right? Mm-hmm. And, and many times players may not agree with what coaches are doing or with what general managers are doing, but you want to win. Mm. So um, what, what, what I like to do is, is explain to the player and, and refocus the fact that many times, you know, it's just business. It's not personal. You know, it's just business. And yes, things could get said that sound personal, but what's the advantage of taking it personally? Right? So you you try to rise above it. Mm-hmm. And, and the best way a player can speak is to go out there and stick it up people's you know what <laughs> uh Al, there's a couple other things that have emerged first off i think i think this is an old cba rule from the post 2004 2005 lockout um, that has since been changed but if you waive your no trade clause in the middle of the season it used to be that you lost it forever is that the case anymore um uh, no, the, and, and, and it wasn't like that. If you, oh, if, you okay. if you waive your no trade clause and you get traded somewhere after the no trade has vested. Mm-hmm. So a no move and or a no trade do not apply to any seasons until the player is in a year where he would have become a group three unrestricted free agent. Okay, so you take the best players in the NHL who came into the league at 18, who were real high draft picks. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not achieve group three status until you have seven years of service. So that would be age 25. If you don't achieve group three status by seven years in the league, the other way you can achieve group three status is 27 years of age by June 30th mm-hmm. in the league year in question. So until you hit that threshold, even if you've signed a long-term deal when you're 22 or 23 years of age, the first number of years of that contract is going to have no trade restriction at all, even if there is a no move or no trade there, it will say it only starts this year of the contract because that's when the player would have become 
a group three unrestricted free agent. Wow. Okay. So if a player was traded before his no move or no trade actually kicked in, and a perfect example of that is P.K. Subban, who had a no move clause in his contract with the Montreal Canadiens when he was traded one day before his no-move clause kicked in, right? Right. To Nashville for Shea Weber, um, uh, PK went to Nashville, and unless Nashville, the acquiring team, agreed that they would abide by the no-move and they're not required to, mm-hmm. that no-move is lost forever. Wow. Yes. So so for the balance of PK Subban's contract, you know, he's been traded from uh Nashville to New Jersey. There's no trade restriction at all. Wow. But, but I don't think it's known. Probably. But if but if you're traded, you know, and you have waived your no trade by signing a waiver, mm-hmm. or you waive your no move by signing a waiver to agree to go to a particular team, that trade restriction will travel with you to the new team. That is an important distinction. I don't think, I'd never heard that before. Um, And the the other thing I think people were kind of uh, bantering about, Alan, and and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this because the NHL CBA to me is so much more complicated than it needs to be, right? It's just, there's so many minutiae, like the, the little details here and there makes it really hard for fans to, Fully understand. Lawyers. What are you going to do with lawyers? I Right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Not that I'm dating one or doing a podcast with one. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I wondered about um, the there was a rumor for a long time. And it was a rumor because people assumed it was true. But it obviously was not that if a player is traded after the trade deadline, they can play for the new team. They just can't play in the playoffs. Right. Was that ever the case? Because we know now through your tweets that if a, if a player is traded after the deadline, even though it's the trade deadline, they cannot play at all. They have to sit at home. Well, if you ever have an interest in perusing the NHL bylaws, all 400 pages of them, um, that look like they were written in the 1940s because they talk about um, um, uh, boots on trains and so forth and what players must do with their boots when they come on a train. No. Um, I kid you not. No way. Uh, I kid you not. The um, 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 section 12 of the bylaws talks about uh, what happens to a player traded um, after the trade deadline. And the player, there is no restriction on a player being traded after the trade deadline, but the player cannot play with the acquiring team at all in any way during the rest of the regular season. And that's called the championship season in the bylaws. You have to know that championship season means regular season and playoffs. So a player gets traded after the trade deadline, wherever he's sent, he is done for the year of the current season. He still gets paid. He still goes on the cap. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if he has term, you know, he's part of that team the next year, but uh, he cannot play a game. He cannot suit up. 
Is there anything reasonable about that? That might be a rule, but many times rules are just old. Do you see a reason why a player couldn't play a regular season with the team after getting traded after the trade deadline? Would that create any issues? Are you for that rule? Are you against that rule? Well, it's a trade deadline. Yeah. And okay. If, if you've got a trade deadline and then you can trade a player the next day, how about how about this situation? You're down to the last week of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the last weekend of the season. And you're two points out of a playoff spot. And you're playing against the team that you're two points behind. And you need these last two wins of the season to get into the playoffs. And that team then goes out and makes a trade with another team to bring in two or three players to play the last two games. Of Ringers. The exactly. To put them over the top and get them in the playoffs. Right. So you, you, you have to have structure to the season. There is a trade deadline. It's there for a reason. And while, you, you know, I had many people say to me, well, it's the trade deadline. You can't make a trade after the trade deadline. Yes, you can. You know, let's, you know, we're lawyers here. We, <laughs> you can, you can make a trade. You can. Don't say you can't make a trade. You know, there's a deadline. You can. But that player cannot play in the regular season or playoffs that year. And a lot of. Uh, However, there is something interesting. Oh, sorry. If you okay. sign after the deadline an unrestricted free agent. Okay. Okay. Who is at that time and I like today, an unrestricted free agent could sign with an NHL team and he would not be eligible to play in the playoffs, but he could play in the regular season. Interesting. Yeah. You know, for, for somebody like, I don't know, Eric Stahl, who played for Team Canada at the Olympics. Very, very interesting. Wow. Okay. So, so Alan, on that, on that same post-deadline trading thing, a lot of Leaf fans were upset. And I think a lot of fans from every other franchise in the entire uh, NHL were laughing themselves, uh, laughing to themselves after Harry Sateri, who I believe won a, won a medal with Finland, was yep. signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And much like Evgeny Nabokov years ago, had to clear re- re-entry waivers. So not not re-entry waivers. Not re- just, just waivers. Had to clear waivers. Clear waivers. So yeah. Nabokov signed in Detroit. Sateri signed in Toronto. The Islanders ended up signing Nabokov, or sorry, claiming Nabokov. And uh, Sateri ended up being claimed by the Coyotes. Right. Why does this rule exist? If a player is coming over from Europe and they want to play for a specific team, why do all of the 31 teams get a shot at? Um, that is to avoid players uh, who play in Europe to the end of their season and, and then sign back uh, in the NHL. And, uh, and you, the, the purpose of the rule is to avoid teams going out to the best teams in Europe as soon as they're done signing two, three of their players and bringing them back to the NHL um, before the trade deadline, but late in the season. Uh, so there is a rule mm-hmm. that if a player plays one game in Europe after the puck drops on the NHL regular season, 
If that player then wants to play in the NHL from Europe, he must clear waivers before he can join his NHL team. And to get your opinion on that, I mean, I understand smaller market teams may not like that because you're signing a bunch of players and, you know, they may not have the same budgets that the the bigger market teams have. So there's an advantage there. But the other, the opposite side of that is as a fan, you could say, well, that could bring the competition up. You're bringing a bunch of new, uh, new talent, fresh talent to the league. No guarantees it's going to work. And the NHL competition level could go up, could make things more interesting. Fans would love it. Do you agree with that rule? I do. And, and I think that, um, you know, I would not be fa- in favor of a rule that bans the player from coming back to the NHL mm-hmm. during the season. But I think it's fair to have to have the player clear waivers before being allowed to uh, join their team. And it does put in a certain gamesmanship and strategy into signing a guy, mm-hmm. right? Do, do I want that guy playing for another team if I sign him? Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, maybe he doesn't sign. But now that I've right. signed him and put him on waivers, I'm giving a shot to everybody to claim him. Mm-hmm. Um, and before the deadline, you can go into their lineup. Maybe, and I'm just using this as an example, a team neck and neck with the Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs sign a player from Europe mm-hmm. and the team neck and neck with the Leafs or in position to play the Leafs in the in the first round of the playoffs claims the player just to keep him out of the Leafs clutches. Right. Right. Maybe they're right behind them in the standings. And 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 that can happen. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the consideration of whether a team wants to sign the player in the first. I, I've had discussions with NHL GMs before where they've come back and said over players in a similar situation. And they've said, my guys don't think the player will clear waivers. And I don't want to sign a guy just to have him go on to another team's roster. Wow. Okay. I like that. I like that. I, I Alan, it's, it's good to get your thoughts on that one. I wasn't sure what way you were going to go because, you know, in a way a player like you just mentioned may not get signed just because a GM doesn't want to line them up for another team. Exactly. Which keeps can keep some talent out of the league. If there was a way that they could bring European players over in a fair way, it would be quite fun because it's kind of adding new blood to, you know, the playoff race with 20 games left to go. I'm just not sure there's a fair way to do it. Now, uh, one of the things that we're going to do today is we're, we're going to do a little bit more of an Ask Alan segment. And if you want to ask Alan Walsh a question, Alan, I'm going to talk about you as if you're not here. Uh, you can email at, uh, sorry, you can email askalanwalsh at gmail.com. And uh, so we've got it up there all the time. The email is always open. What we ask for is audio and video submissions. Obviously, you can you can write in, but we'd love to see your face. And we got a couple of video submissions right now. So we're going to play the first one here. And uh, I, I, we're, this is the first time we're doing this. We're going to have a full-blown video, uh, video chat question. Go ahead, Jesse. 
Hey, Alan. Hey, Adam. My name is Christian. This is Wesley from Samoa. But anyways, one question I have for you, Alan Walsh, is have you been approached or talked about or offered an NHL position at any point in time with any organization? I know you said you'd rather not. However, have you been at least, I guess, offered? So, Alan, have you been approached and offered a job by an NHL organization? Many, many, many years ago, I got a call from a general manager who said, uh, hey, um, I'm looking for an assistant GM and uh, just interested in, in whether you would you know, want to talk about it. And after I stopped laughing, which <laughs> took quite a while, I said, um, uh, what I've said many times since to other people, my dad always told me never say never, um, but I'm saying never. So I have, that was the only time anybody's ever reached out. I have never had any interest. Uh, not that, I, I mean, I completely respect people working uh, with teams. I have many friends working as general managers and assistant general managers and presidents of teams. Um, that's just not me. I see myself and I've always seen myself as an advocate for players. And I can't see myself ever letting go of that to the point of working for a team in a senior management role. Now, I have a question before we move on to the next one. If an agent does decide to take one of those positions, I think that, you know, we had a couple this off season, uh, uh, Emily Castangay in Vancouver and Kent Hughes in, in uh, Montreal. Do you, do you have to move your clients onto somebody else? How does that work with, the, you know, with your pre-existing relationships? Well, if you're part of an agency, uh, probably the rest of the agency will absorb most of the clientele. If you're more or less on your own, um, and you uh, taking the job happens very quickly, um, I'm sure uh, the players will quickly find alternate representation. There it is. Okay. Jesse, next question, please. Hey, Alan, just a question from me and the two Bruces over here. Uh, what's the relationship like between player agents? Is there much contact at all? Um, is it kind of always friendly? Do you have to be guarded with the information that you give out of fear of poaching or something like that? Um, first of all, I love your uh, taste in music. Uh, awesome album covers there behind you. Um, agents typically don't communicate with other agents uh, on a regular basis. And, I, and I, I, I lament that fact, but the truth is it's a, you know, the agent business is an incredibly cutthroat business and there is intense competition competition between agents, which does not lend itself to pick up the phone, call a competing agent and say, Hey, how's it going? How's your week? <laughs> and, and talk with them about, um, you know, what we do, there's no agents association. There's no real platform for, for agents to communicate with each other. And while there may be some pre-existing relationships 
um, that are more the exception than the rule, where competing agents might um, be cordial and civil to each other, or maybe even uh, speak with each other. I mean, uh, from from the 150, 175 plus agents in the NHL, there is one competitor that I speak to on a somewhat regular basis based on a prior relationship that existed uh, for years when he wasn't an agent. And there really isn't anybody else that, that I speak to. And it's, it's somewhat rare to have that kind of cross relationship going on. The, the next question is going to be an audio question. And Jesse, whenever you are ready. Hey guys. Like many kids growing up in Canada, I had dreams of playing for your Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> My father has always been a forward-thinking type and mentioned a few times that it would be neat if a player signed a contract at the base salary with achievement bonuses. For example, Marc-Andre Fleury would get $1 million for 16 games played per season, another million for finishing with a save percentage greater than 810, and maybe $5,000 for winning against the Golden Knights. <laughs> this could go on and on and on, but uh, could you see this ever getting any traction in the NHL? Because it would be very likely to save the owner's money. And it would have put a, a lot of the onus on the players to perform to the worth they've negotiated. So, so NHL players uh, contracts other than entry level and a player over 35 years of age, uh, cannot have any performance bonuses in their contract with one exception. If a player is injured in between entry level and over 35 and, and misses a certain prescribed number of games in the immediate preceding season, he can then uh, sign uh, a one-year injured player contract that can be uh, very heavily performance bonus laden. And that's the only way to do it. Now, um, in over 35 contracts, uh, a lot has been made about um, my client, Yaroslav Halak, who had a, a significant signing bonus in his contract, a NHL base salary, and $1.25 million in games played bonuses for playing 10 games, starting 10 games, mm -hmm. and also another $250,000 for having a safe percentage at 0 0.905 or above. But the only way we could do that contract is because Yarrow was at 35 years of age when he signed that deal. If he was 34, could not do that, structure the contract like that. Is there a reason for that, Alan, that there isn't more performance bonuses between like, you know, ELC and then obviously plus the 35 plus contract is why did they do away with that? Uh, there used to be uh, before uh, 2004, all kinds of different things that you could put in contracts. So, for example, there was um, deletion contracts deletion clauses in entry-level contracts that when a player 
played a certain amount of games. Actually, that was that was eliminated, I believe. Yeah, that was eliminated in 2004. So if a player plays 60 games in the NHL, the minor league salary of his contract was deleted and his contract then turned into a one-way deal. Whoa. Right. So that's gone. There were all kinds of different performance bonuses and team bonuses that used to exist in contracts. Um, New Jersey Devils back in the day when when Lou was there um, always had a very significant team bonus plan. And that was put into the contract and players would get bonuses for different win milestones, um, uh, points, achieving a certain number of team points in a month. Huh. So it was, and, and you know, so that really, you know, and the players talked about it like, Hey, you know, if we win the next two games, we're all getting, you know, the, the $10,000 or the $7,500 and, and so forth. Now, something that um, many people might not know is that players, this is not related to contracts at all, but players do uh, what's called putting money up on the board. Okay. So when a player plays against an old team, or if he has a particular reason to really want to win that game, he'll put you know $5,000 up on the board, which means if... If they win the game, that money then goes into a, a, a pot mm -hmm. that the players will use for team dinners or end of season uh, and so forth to finance uh, that. In every game, there's guys putting a certain amount of money up on the board. And, uh, and sometimes after a game, you know, you'll have a player come out of the dressing room and he'll talk about, yeah, so-and-so put, you know, five grand on the board tonight to win. And, you know, like it was great. We won the game. You know, it's sort of a, a motivator between the players that uh, gets joked about. Um, and so, so you, you know, the, the, the person who asked the question talked about $5,000 playing against a specific team. That happens every night. It does. Okay. Wow. See, these are the things that you never hear about. You never hear about that. And by the way, that's okay. That's legal. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. I'm, that's uh, that's really, really. So the last one we have was one that I couldn't get to play um, on my computer. Uh, but uh, and Jesse couldn't get it to work on his, but it is from Adam Perryman. And Adam asks, uh, hey, Alan, uh, how involved are agents when it comes to the NHLPA versus Batman in the CBA negotiations. Notice he didn't say NHL. He just said Batman. Uh, have you had players come to you and bounce off ideas or ask your take on something on what is reasonable collateral to improve something or to finesse rules? What are your, uh, what is your involvement in CBA negotiations? There, there's always dialogue that exists between uh, agents and their clients uh, on CBA issues, especially as we get closer to or into a CBA negotiation. Mm -hmm. And I also think the NHLPA has always done a really good job at soliciting the opinions of, of agents out there and getting the taking the temperature of the agent community on certain hot button issues. So many times 
over the last uh, 20 some odd years, I've gotten a call from people at the NHLPA or from the executive director himself saying, um, you know, I'm soliciting various agents here on their opinion regarding this topic or that topic. And you have a discussion about it. Uh, and, And I think that's beneficial to the NHLPA as a whole. Because sometimes on the granular level, they um, may not appreciate how a certain issue might impact agents or players. Hmm. And it's important to, to solicit uh, opinions through, throughout the community, the agent community, to find out you know, what, what a group of people's thoughts are. Um, but there isn't any one person or five people that are quote unquote um, advisors to the NHLPA and the actual negotiation of a collective bargaining agreement is purely within the domain of, of the NHLPA and the senior staff at the PA. Um, and, and I've always seen an agent's role um, as being during those times as someone who's willing to privately and publicly lend support to the union mm-hmm. um, and, and, and help them any way that we can, while being very careful not to interfere in any way in the negotiation and understand that that's their domain, that's their job. It's not the agent's job to be involved in any of that. Um, our job is just to support them, support our clients, and uh, and be there if if anybody needs you uh, for an opinion, uh, but to pretty much stay out of it. Well, I, I think I'd be leaning on the opinion of the people that negotiate for a living if I if I had the opportunity to to hit them up for some info. So I can imagine you guys are a great uh, resource for that, Alan. Um, you can always ask Alan Walsh a question. Ask Alan Walsh at gmail.com. It's already there and available. And from time to time, we're going to throw your videos up and, and your audio questions. We really appreciate it. Alan, um, I know that this has been a crazy week for you. So I'm really glad that we got the, get the chance to get together and do a show. Um, and uh, I hope that you get a little time off this weekend, or I guess your enjoyment's going to be tomorrow night in Minnesota with Marc-Andre Fleury. Exactly. Watching, watching hopefully a good hockey game. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to uh, to seeing that. We'll be rooting them on. And Alan, thanks so much for your time today. You got it. See everybody next week.